Our next guest has been called a scientist, an entrepreneur, and an advocate, and more recently by Forbes Afrique, la science preneur. Forgive my bad French accent, but Dr. Elsa Zakeng has a scientific mind, entrepreneurial hustle, and a heart for the marginalized. If you want to know more about Dr. Elsa and the work she does, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. And welcome, Dr. Elsa. Good evening, Clayton. Uh, it's great to have you on the show and welcome to the Cashflow Show. So, Dr. Elsa, tell us what you're doing currently, because you've got a myriad of things which we're going to get into. But what are you doing as we speak today? Sure. So, as you stated in the introduction, so I'm a scientist by training. So today I work in life science strategy consulting. So supporting companies, governments um, to bring either therapies to market to populations and patient populations that need it the most. But also I am working on a biotech startup called Soka Data. And Soka Data is all about building diverse data sets, specifically biomarker data sets that support early drug discovery. And it's essentially this will support pharmaceutical and biotech companies to be able to bring um, therapies to market that are beneficial for the whole population and represent the DNA and the vast DNA of the population that exists in the whole world, really. But additionally, I am an advocate. So I advocate for policy and that's policy around access to healthcare, young women women's rights and women's rights in general. So I do wear quite a few different hats. So let's go back a bit because that's what you're doing now. You say that you are primarily a scientist. When did you get the science bug? So that's interesting. Whenever I get asked this question, it's um, one that sort of came by chance, but also by not having any other option. And by that, I mean, at school, I was really bad at geography. I was really bad at history. <laughs> so my only other options really were biology, which I seem to be really good at, chemistry, which I got, and then maths. Physics, not so much, but by virtue of just being good at those subjects, that's sort of the route I always took very quickly into university so I did molecular biology as my first degree I really realized that I was quite curious about constantly finding out research and finding pushing the boundaries of knowledge I would probably say and at that point I realized that the route to consistently do that was through science and so I'll probably say by the age of about 2021 20, I officially started calling myself a scientist Okay. There was a time, I should say, around the age of 17 that you were sort of leading a double life. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> am, I, am I allowed to talk about this or is this it? <laughs> no, absolutely. Go for it. Now, 
the sources close to me tell me that you were leading a double life. That you at one point you were interning at a high-end boutique event organizing company, but also interned at the International Organization for Migration. Are you ready to confess? Absolutely. I think my dad can tell you a bit more about that <laughs> more than I. Um, so essentially, what happened is okay. I'm someone who loves to explore all my interests. And I have never shied away from taking a specific set of risk if I find that it might be beneficial. And at the time, I had an interest in event organizing, and that was weddings, 50th birthday parties, you name it. I was interested in it, and my parents were not, I would say, the keenest on me fully being committed at it. So they were supportive about me going to um, intern at the International Organization for Migration, which was really good. I mean, it aligned directly with what I was studying or what I was um, going to study at uni. I was working on tea and migration and how migration affected the spread of tuberculosis, which was, again, very aligned with my career path. But I had this itch that I really needed to explore. And so by in the mornings, I would go to the International Organization for Migration and I would work there. And then in the evenings, I would go at this event organizing boutique firm where I would um, support them with planning weddings and parties and all of that. So, yeah, it was very much a beautiful time. Very tiring, <laughs> but very, very rewarding. I could see that you were probably burning the candle at both ends there. Absolutely, yeah. How long did it take before you were rumbled? Three weeks. <laughs> and that really happened because it was a case of running out of pocket allowance. Oh. And my dad going, how are you running out of pocket allowance? I'm like, well. <laughs> so after you sort of realized that having a dual career, um, if you like, uh, or dual interests were not necessarily such a good idea, Tell me about the first company that you co-founded. Sure. So that would be the Northwest Biotech Initiative. And this was nine months into my PhD. I quickly realized I love science, but I wasn't going to stay in academia. And I set out to explore what other options um, existed out there for people like myself. And at the time, there were... The other career paths, such as careers outside of academia, that could be consulting, that could be even entrepreneurship, I would say were not well known, at least not to me. And so I started this organization, actually, dare I say a mistake, because it started off with me just organizing events, inviting biotech companies, pharmaceutical companies come and talk to us about what they did on a daily basis. And soon enough, we had hundreds of students, thousands of students attending our events, and then realizing that, oh, actually, it is a thing because then these companies would sponsor us and then they would recruit from us. And so we obviously quickly realized that there was an opportunity there. So that was a, a company. That was the first time I probably called myself an entrepreneur. And this is, again, me thinking, what, what do you mean I'm an entrepreneur? I'm, I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what entrepreneurship is. <laughs> and um, so, yes, yeah, so I started out with a friend of mine at university. Did the idea of becoming an entrepreneur Obviously, it fell into your lap and it falls into many, many of the laps of the people who are guests here on the Cashflow Show. Is it something that you then had to learn to embrace or is it because you went down the academic or, or the scientific path, I should say, that in your mind you sort of said, how have I become an entrepreneur? When when did this happen? Where did it happen? I think it's multifactorial. I think we're conditioned to think that we can be one thing or the other. 
or at least in my opinion or how I grew up, it's very much been if you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur, if you're business minded, you're business minded. If you're a scientist, you're a scientist, right? And this is where you operate. So the thought process of even thinking that there were there was a cross section of it did not quite cross my mind. So I wouldn't say I was adverse to becoming an entrepreneur. I just could not fathom it. I just did not see how both worked or how both existed in one space because I had not I had not seen it. Mm. And so that was probably the resistance. I mean, soon enough, I then embraced the fact that that was just what I was going to do. And I was just going to have to find people who were like-minded. And event soon enough, I found my tribe, as they say. The concept of entrepreneurship on its own and the concept of science on its own made sense to me. But that intersection wasn't quite clear. It was very much a gray area that I have had to navigate. You've now decided to embrace both science and entrepreneurship. Your next big challenge really comes along in 2015. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say too much about this because I want you to say more about it because it's, it's quite significant, isn't it? What was 2015 for you? Absolutely. So 2015 for me, when I think about 2015, was I think about the biggest Ebola outbreak that happens in West Africa, um, in Guinea. Sierra Leone and Liberia, but more specifically, I think about Guinea because that is where I deploy to. So with the WHO, I go out with a team of scientists and we are literally at the front lines on the forefront addressing or trying to bring the outbreak to an end. And again, you see multidisciplinary teams, you see policy, you see science, you see economics, you see all the different facets of life coming together and thinking about how to address this. But obviously there in myself, I'm a scientist. So I was at the forefront testing samples for Ebola, for malaria and the risks in itself that were upon me. I don't think I actually accepted or I allowed myself to think about those risks before going out there, at least to the full extent of them in comparison to when we were out there. And then you really realize what you're up against and what how quickly something could go wrong that could literally end your life and um yes but then you embrace it because you work i mean 12 to 14 hour days seven days a week the emotional toll the scientific toll and making sure that everything that you do is close to perfect and accepting that you're human and not you're not a robot you so you accept that that human aspect of it. So that was very much a challenging time after spending six weeks um, out there in Guinea and, and coming back. So, yeah. Would you describe yourself as a brave person? Absolutely. I think sometimes even to my, to my own disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> because there are many people that when faced with that level of adversity would be like, I'm out of here. No, I mean, it's that moment of sink or swim, right? And it, some people might decide to swim or to sink or just be out of the situation. But I've always been one to rise to the challenge, um, whatever it takes or whatever it took in that particular situation. I mean, it obviously ended up, ended up quite positively. Um, we got back and I received a medal from your late Queen Elizabeth II for deploying out to Guinea and yeah, so it was a nice recognition, I would say, but I think that's not really what drives you because I don't think any amount of medal or any anything really could make up for the amount of risk that you take. Of course, in my opinion. most definitely. But I mean, you kind of just sort of skipped over that really cool, but I'm going to go back to it because I am that guy. So you and uh, what the listeners to the Cashflow Show, the Cashflow Crew 
will probably have missed over that very delicate sidestep is that Dr. Elsa was awarded the Ebola Medal for Service to West Africa by Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II, RIP. And the question I want to ask you is, how did that feel? And more importantly, how did your dad feel? It's interesting because I have received quite a few different medals and features. Um, and I think some, a theme that keeps coming up, even from my family and my parents and friends, is that also you're so unassuming. I don't think you realize the gravity of what's happened. And I think it takes as a testament to I've never truly ever done it for those things. Like I said, it was really, it was nice. It was a nice recognition, but that was what it was, a nice recognition. I probably think, I'll probably say that my parents were more proud <laughs> rather than I was, or they talked more about it, but that was essentially, that's how it feels. It was, it's nice, but yeah, yeah, definitely. So you started a business, you've done degrees, you've found yourself in a position with a medal from the Queen. A lot of the work that you've done has been for marginalised communities. What got you into that work and what drives you to be involved in that work? I think this is where you go into nature versus nurture and that's very much a part of nurture. So my dad works for UNAIDS and he's worked for the UNAIDS for easily the better part of the past 20 years. And one of my earliest memories, probably at the age of 14, 15, was when we were in Ghana and he was working on with AIDS, with communities of women and just generally people who lived with AIDS in Africa. And he was traveling around Ghana. And I remember asking him, why are you going on this one week trip um, around Ghana? And this one, when I say one week trip, this is an eight to nine hour drive over a period of 10 days. So you can imagine it's quite tiring physically and emotionally and he said well because you could receive beautiful reports in my on my office on my desk in Accra which is the capital but I would never know if those reports are true unless I go on ground and I actually see the realities of it so with my 15 and 16 year old self I thought okay sure I'm gonna go along with you so I set off on this week journey with my dad and I think what happens when you see the realities of things it's, it changes you in a way that you really cannot be the same. So you literally come face to face with people who are in positions and you realize your sense of privilege in so many different ways. And I think that's probably where it all kicked off. Um, my sense of wanting to engage or speak up for marginalized communities and engaging with women, engaging with girls and engaging with people who did not have access to medication, did not have access to health and a lot of the things that we take for granted on a daily basis just by virtue of living in the West and having access to medication, doctors and all these different facilities. So yes, I probably would go back to that memory. The next stage in your journey is very interesting. Tell me about job seekers. In 20, gosh, 2018, I would say, I joined a startup and essentially it's mitigating unconscious bias in recruitment, in the recruitment process. And this is just off the back of the Northwest Biotech Initiative um, that I had co-founded with my friend. And I joined a startup and we were working with companies in order to support them in making sure that they're 
processes and the hiring processes were a lot more inclusive, were diverse and enabled them really to hire the best talent. And then you see the studies around people with different names or when I say different names, people with names that were ethnically sounding, were less likely to be able to get a job or even studies where you found Jane Doe and John Doe who had exactly the same CV but John Doe got hired and Jane Doe did not get hired and you start going into AI and the recruitment and bias and all these different things that have been historically present. So those are all the challenges that we were trying to target um, or to address really with job seekers. And yes, I had a, had a three-year run at that startup and yeah, moved on from that. So what's it like co-founding a business with a friend? Because I've always started businesses as a solo entrepreneur. As a co-founder, what was that experience, especially when you co-found with friends? What's that like? As the best that you can do, because you don't want to upset your friend. <laughs> no, not at all. I think that it's, it's something that I have had to think about quite um, intensely. And it's it's beautiful because you have someone to lean on. You have another a sparing partner, if you want to call it that. You can brainstorm, you can talk about the challenge and also have someone to lean on when, as, you know, as you know, business, it has its rollercoaster, it has its ups and it has its downs. However, when there is a period of misalignment and if unfortunately that underlying friendship or foundation is not as solid as it could be, it can be very devastating. So like everything, right, it has its pros and it has its cons and um, you take the good and the bad and you hope you hope for the best. Yeah, I think it is difficult. I think it's very hard co-founding because I think many good friendships can break up as a result of business. I mean, absolutely. Co-founding a business is as much as a marriage, right? I will probably say the closest. I mean, I've not been married before, but you literally have to have such a similar vision and similar values that allow that relationship and that business to thrive. Because I like to think of a business as a baby, right? It's, it's an entity of its own that you are both the guardians of, right? And so you sort of become the parents of that, of that baby or of that, of that business. So I totally agree with you. There has to be a great deal of alignment there. I notice something with your career as, I, as I've looked at it recently. There is a yin and yanging effect. Because what seems to happen is you seem to do something heavily entrepreneurial. And then, you, then the next project, it, I'll tell you the best way that I can describe it. It's like Prince, the musician. Okay. He he would basically do real a funky album and it would be really up-tempo, danceable. And the next album, everybody was expecting the same thing. Then he'd go and do a rock record or he would do something completely different. And you seem to go that you do this heavy entrepreneurial stuff, startups, all that kind of stuff, pitch decks, the full Monty. And then you then switch to a community interest and then you go back again. And it, it, it's a way that you, you, you switch between the two that I find actually quite fascinating because your community interest company, Solidarity in Tech, mm -hmm. that was what, what you, mm -hmm. you, you get into next. And that fascinates me as well because you're, you're really building that culture of diversity and inclusion in STEM. And I'd love to hear more about that. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's very key, right? Primarily, I would like to say it's partly due to the fact that I always think about business for profit and impact, right? And trying to maximize the two. And community interest companies, for various reasons, obviously allow you to, or anyone really, to maximize that um, impact piece. And I'm not saying that, obviously, um, 
a for-profit business doesn't allow you to do that, but it allows you to do that in another way. So Solidarity in Tech came up really from the need of seeing when we engage with companies that, yes, there was an aspect around recruitment and hiring, but then there was the other aspect around educating. So it's almost like, like perhaps what you're saying, that yin and yang, right? There's this, this, the two sides of the equation. And then it goes, okay, so how else do I target or address this other side of the equation? And so that's what Solidarity in Tech really is, um, a company to educate, to train, to increase awareness of jobs, um, opportunities, careers, and STEM, um, specifically targeted towards women, young people, and towards neurodiverse um, populations. So... Yes, that's very much SIT, as I like to call it. Good. These projects that you've taken on, the community interests, the entrepreneurial startups or founding of companies, how do you stay motivated? Because sometimes not all of these run completely smoothly, and I'm sure you'd be the first to, to attest to that. How do you stay motivated when faced with obstacles or set? I would say that there's a point where motivation is not enough it really comes back down to discipline and being able to commit to something and see it to the end and by that I actually will, will even take my PhD as an example um, I think I always say by year three of doing a PhD that motivation is out through the window <laughs> it's gone at that point it very much becomes discipline and I've committed to this so I'm going to see it through and it's not to say that it's for a lack of love of the topic or the subject matter but it's just that day to day work that can become tiresome so yes there is passion and yes there is interest in it but i think there is a shift that happens where you can no longer just rely on those dare i say hormones or emotional ephemeral feelings that um you you feel at the beginning and it really just comes down to okay let's do the work and stay committed to the cause so we've had a great overview of your career so far in terms of the things that you've done in community interest and in entrepreneurship. It all sounds like a hell of a lot of work. So we now want to find out what you do when you have that spare downtime. And we're going to take you to the section called, what are you like? And this is a section which a lot of people seem to love because it gives entrepreneurs a chance to maybe let their hair down or show another side of themselves. So we're going to start off now with your favorite book. You chose three books, which were the first of which was Viola Davis, Finding Me, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, mm. award winner. She's an EGOT or EGOT award winning actress and star of so many films. So what did you think that I take it is a biography? Yes, that's correct. And so what was your interest in that particular book? I think Viola has an absolute talent. I mean, she's obviously EGOT now, so that in itself, that speaks for itself. But her talent in just describing her story and her life story in, I can't remember, about 200 pages, probably, or 200 to 300 pages, in a way that is, it takes you through all the emotions from understanding her childhood and the challenges that she faced growing up. But also just seeing that running thread throughout of that ability to just never give up and wanting to to stay the course regardless of what challenges she faced herself with. And then finding herself in rooms studying at Juilliard with peers who have a cushion, a certain cushion in life because they did not grow up in the same way that she grew up in and being able to navigate that space and then obviously becoming 
the absolute fourth that she is today. I think her story really reminds me or at least spoke to me from a space of, yes, resilience, um, but also from a space of assimilating and exploding or exploring your your talents to its highest potentials um regardless of if those rooms look like rooms that you are used to or not and you've also chosen paulo coelho the zahir and captivate by vanessa van edwards paulo coelho has actually been one of my favorite authors for a very long time and he really has a way of talking about having and not having so the power of love and loss and i really think that the zahir allows us to explore that because sometimes i think as human beings we can be very black and white and not give enough space for gray so the zahir is very much a story around that whilst vanessa van edwards um is a researcher and captivate talks about just understanding um, human emotion. And that's definitely a book that I would recommend and engaging in not just only the words that we say, but the words that we do not say. Excellent. Now we're going to move on to your favorite business books. And you've got two classics here, which have been mentioned before on the Cash Flow Show. So I know that these are books that I should be reading also. And the first is Never Split the Difference by former, I think, FBI or is it CIA man, Chris Voss? Really good book. Definitely recommend anyone <laughs> <in> this <laughs> Chris Voss is a negotiator or was a negotiator before he became a consultant and best-selling author. And his strap line is effectively every day you get up in the morning, you have to negotiate. You negotiate for your coffee, you negotiate for your space on the tube. It's all a negotiation. Absolutely. And he very much says there's no win-win situation. Someone always, almost always loses. There's no situation where it's a win-win. So you have to negotiate and never, never split the difference. Indeed. And you also mentioned Peter Thiel, zero to one. Yeah. And your reasons for that. I think that's very much been my career, really, and my life, going from zero to to one. And that's from going from pushing the boundaries, going from creating a business that could be creating a family, creating anything out of nothing. And he really just goes through certain basics um, that I remember very much applying um, in my first um, business that I co-founded with my friend. And... Um, yeah, and also the mindset around going from that zero to one. And it could be small, and it sometimes is quite small in a very niche area that no one may know. But it's the same concept that sort of apply throughout to be able to make a bigger difference. So now we move on to your favorite albums or singles, and you've chosen Leone Torres, Ere 2. Am I getting that right? <laughs> yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's, that's, it's probably some young music I'm not really into. I'm still in 90s R&B mode. So tell me about Leone Torres. So it's, uh, it's, it's Latin music. Leone oh. Torres is, uh, so, okay. This is it. I'm a salsa dancer as well. So in my spare time, I dance salsa. Uh, I love salsa. So that's very much one of um, my favorite salsa musicians. And yeah, it's just <laughs> one of the songs that I love. I okay. Love so how long have you been dancing salsa? About seven years. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very much my creative outlet and allows me to not think. I always say on the dance floor, I'm not thinking. And considering how much time I probably spend thinking and strategizing, it's something that I need to function. So you've got Burner Boy, international sensation. <laughs> yes. With his song Wild Dreams. Yeah. And very much he talks about going after your lofty goals and never giving up 
but also being cautious of what may come in the pursuit of those wild dreams. And this last one is Tacey Ni Pense Plus, or have I got that completely wrong? No, that's correct, but it's French, so also I'm a French speaker, so he's a Ni Pense Plus um, by Tacey, and yes, it's a... <laughs> in my dreams, I can speak French, and I'm really, I'm really smooth in my dreams, but in real life, it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a mess. Uh, Tessie, ni, ni, ni pense plus. Ni, say again? Ni pense plus. Ni pense plus. Yeah. Not to think about it again. That's a direct, it's almost a direct translation. Don't talk, don't think about it further. I mean, I think you gather by now, I have a very wide range in music and music. And that's impressive. It really is. Ni pense plus. Ni pense plus. Okay, right. So I'll be <laughs> you see, this is why I love it because I get, an education just from listening to everybody on the show. <laughs> so we move on to your favourite films and box sets, and you've got three now. You've got The Notebook, Scandal, and Anything Crime Detective. So let's start with The Notebook. I mean, that's a classic. I mean, okay, you see, this is one of those times when I will say I wrote that. The Notebook is a classic and is one of my favourite. But I would say more recently, mm-hmm. one of the movies that I have watched one too many times is called The American Underdog. And it's very much a story of someone from, I can't remember which state in the, in, in, the, in the United States. And he essentially ends up, well, he has a dream of being an NFL player. He tries out and tries out and he doesn't get in. And eventually he ends up getting called in by the Rams, I want to believe, and he ends up in the Hall of Fame as the best undrafted NFL player that ever existed. So I'll probably lead with that as my current favourite. So you've also mentioned Scandal. Was, yeah. And that, yeah, I can't remember the letter. Is it, I think, Kerry I'll Washington? Yeah, Kerry Washington. Kerry Washington. Yeah. Right, okay. And you also have Anything Crime Detective. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you what your favourite TV detective is. Oh, favourite TV detective. I could only think about detective shows. Yeah, that's, hope, that's great. Oh, Criminal Minds. Okay. Um, my all-time favourite. I've probably watched it too many times. I love everything profiling and trying to understand the minds of why you would commit a crime and how you would go about doing it. Not the middle of planning anything. <laughs> and I'm pleased to hear I, this. I, <laughs> fascinated by by the minds of those who actually do i love crime and detective shows i just adore them and what I, is your favorite my favorite oh my god um in terms of the sort of ensemble type of crime detective csi the original csi i love that i thought that was fantastic i still think colombo's fantastic as well even after all these years colombo because you know who's done it yes that's it um, God, there's so many that I, that I really enjoy. Um, trying to think who else? Certain Sherlock Holmes. There's, there's Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett, which is one in, <laughs> and Alice has just put into the chat, um, uh, Luther. Yeah, yeah, Lu- yeah, Luther could get very, very dark. It could get very, very dark. As long as it's got a detective in it, I'll sit and watch it. 
Absolutely. And let's not talk about the actual real life crime shows and the documentaries that Netflix actually allows us. To, well, not just Netflix, but there's so many streaming services. So the likes of like the Jeffrey Dahmer story and I mean, anything that's like real life and real crime, I would absolutely watch. But the thing is, it's quite interesting because true crime is the largest podcasting genre. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, it's the biggest. And it it's got the biggest followers, which are women. <laughs> women, women follow, women are obsessed with true crime. And I don't know why this is. It's, it's really weird, but women love true crime. Maybe there's a thing that we're protecting ourselves, right? It allows us to understand our own threat levels and know what we need to be doing and what, how we could stay safe. That's what I would say. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, yeah. He's a nutter. Yeah, that's the that, 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 that's what you have to avoid. I think that's what my advice would be. But yes, that's um, um absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so after that great excursion into um, the books, films, and records, let's get back to where you are currently. And I'd like to ask you, what skills do you believe are essential for entrepreneurs to have in order to succeed in their ventures? Skills, I would start by splitting those up between hard and soft skills. And I will start off with the soft skills, which I don't even know if I would say it's a skill, but I will start off by saying it's a high level of self-awareness. And by that, I mean just being able to know what you can, what you can't do, what needs to be delegated. And if there's someone else better for the job than you are and being able to let control of that to that person and trusting that they will do a good job of that. I think that on the other hand, I definitely think that as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to wear several hats. So you really have to be problem solving. You have to have problem solving skills, critical thinking, and obviously depending on what your business is, having that in-depth knowledge of that specific industry. So obviously, let's say someone like myself, I probably would say um, life sciences or med tech um, or health tech, whatever um, specialty it might be, but also having that breadth of knowledge of business and that is commercial and that is obviously the sales aspect of it, making sure that you're, you remain profitable and your books remain in the green. I wouldn't, I would say that there are some skills you don't have to know in depth that you can outsource, such as accounting, where yes, you know what your numbers are, but to be able to have to create, I don't know, your paperwork for HMRC. I don't think that that's not the skill that you have to particularly think that you have to have a grasp on. You can hire an accountant for that. Obviously, just making sure that your business consistently grows and is profitable is a skill in itself that is crucial. So what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in their career, whether it's in science or whether it's entrepreneurship or maybe a combination of both? And they want to make a positive impact on the world. They've listened to your story, seen the, some of the things that you've done. They think, oh, I might be able to do something similar to that. What do you think would be your advice to that person? I would say this might come across as a bit flimsy, but very much just shoot your shot. <laughs> and that is 
reach out to as many people as you possibly can. LinkedIn is your best friend. Try out as many opportunities and apply for as many opportunities as you might find that you're interested in. I think so many times we get asked the question, what do you want to do? But a more pertinent question, in my opinion, is what do you not want to do? And you can understand or quickly know what you do not want to do by trying and understanding that maybe I thought that this was a route I wanted to take, but perhaps it's not the one for me. So I definitely would say those are the two things. Try as much as possible and reach out to as many people as possible and apply for the jobs within that field opportunities. And that could be networking events, that could be um, internships, um, and that could just be offering your value and everyone has inherent value, right? Excellent. Thank you for that. That's absolutely brilliant. So I want to get back to you briefly. What are your plans for the future, both professionally and personally, apart from the salsa dancing, <laughs> um, which I know you'll continue, but what's happening for you? What's on the horizon that you can talk about? Absolutely. Um, so on the horizon, I will really talk about Soka Data, and Soka Data is the startup I've been mentioning, and it's a biotech startup aimed at bringing diverse biomarkers into one space, into one database to allow um, pharmaceutical industries, biotech industries to be able to use this data set to um, support their early drug development processes. And really it's so that the outcomes are therapies and drugs and vaccines that are beneficial to the whole population. And when I say diverse data sets, I mean women, I mean ethnic minorities, I mean older people and bringing all those different things because age, ethnicity, gender, all affects that are biomarkers and how we react to certain viruses and also how we react to uh, medication. So that is what I very much will be focusing on and obviously still continue advocacy and trying to add my voice to the millions and other women who continue to talk about inclusion um, in STEM but generally inclusion in business and just trying to survive in this world. So people would have been very impressed with what you've had to say on this podcast today. Where can people get hold of you? Where can people contact you? Sure. So my name is Elsa Zakeng and that is on pretty much everything. So at Elsa Zakeng on LinkedIn, at Elsa Zakeng on Twitter, at Elsa Zakeng on Instagram. And I also have a website called elsazakeng.com. You guessed that, right? So. <laughs> I'll have to spell Zakeng so that everybody can, because sometimes people don't necessarily. And so it's Elsa, E-L-S-A and Zakeng at Z-E-K-E-N-G. Perfect. Thank you so much for that, please. You're most welcome. So we've come to the end of our broadcast here and this conversation has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Dr. Elsa Zakeng, thank you for joining us on the Cashflow Show. Thank you so much for having me, Clayton. You're most welcome. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for Real People, Real Business, Real Talk.